eating meat offered unto idols, and there's still a little bit of continuation on that and what that involved, the spirituality. But we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And thank you for your uh, prayers for us this week. Uh, we ran over to uh, San Diego and took a flight over there, performed a wedding for a couple. Um, she's from Peru, and he is in the Navy. And uh, just a blessed opportunity to be able to be involved in the lives of uh, two individuals. Uh, I first, we first met uh, the woman back in 2002 when she was like 14. And so it's been neat to see how she's been faithful and uh, follow through. Just thankful for your prayers and uh, just the opportunity to, to serve and be a part of the local church. And as we look at, um, continue on to 1 Corinthians as a transition, understanding that uh, we have in chapter 9 a continuation of this meat offered on the idol. So I'm going to actually start in chapter uh, let's see, 12, and then I'll read in verses, uh, starting in verse 1, because obviously in the original language, there were not these chapter separations. And so those are for our benefit. But just so that you have a little bit of the context and idea. And as we see here, um, starting in verse 12, where it says, And when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Am I not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you? For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is this only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about, or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, it is great things if we reap your material things. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. We'll stop there. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you. For your word. Thank you for the truth it gives to us. Thank you that we can read it and understand it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to become more Christ-like, to grow in our knowledge and understanding. And Lord, we're grateful for how you continue to guide us. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that teaches us, that convicts us, that reminds us about who you are. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to 
Help us to be submissive to your leading, your will, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. As we think about this morning, uh, even as a title, um, Paul's spiritual maturity reminders counter the Corinthians' personal rights. And if you remember, the Corinthians, in their primary letter, as Paul is returning, as the overview of the book, Paul writes to answer their questions. And Paul writes addressing some of their egotistical and arrogant claims about how they have rights and they can do things because they're more spiritual. And they were prideful in their expression of their personal rights. Remember, they're divided over so many things. And we're going to go through um, some of the scriptures just as kind of a review as well. If you hold your spot, go back to 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1. And so if, if we remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, Paul reminds them and says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say that this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul is saying that there's divisions because they were trying to be right. They were claiming the rights and saying, okay, I'm right if I follow this individual. We go to uh, verse 20 and 21 of chapter 1. It says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And I just want to go back and just remind her that they are always striving for the wisdom, the knowledge. This was part of the church at Corinth and the culture that was taking place there. If we move over to chapter 3, looking at verses 1 to 3, Paul again, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able for you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like um, mere men? So some of them were very immature still and not behaving as spiritual individuals. And then we see in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Here Paul is explaining and expressing and going on. And he says in verse 2, And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. They were being arrogant and prideful in their sin. And it says it's such a bad testimony that they're living in ways that even the Gentiles, those outside the church, would not partake in. And they're proud and boastful. And then in chapter 6, verse uh, 15 and 17. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And as Paul's expressing, remember, they were trying to divide what I do in the body 
is different from what I do in the spirit. I can keep a spiritual mind, but what I do in the flesh, that doesn't count against me. So my point in bringing back part of this, um, if you will, in the earlier chapter is to remind us of where the Corinthians are at. And so now they have accused Paul. They're addressing him saying, okay, Paul, who are you? And if we look at chapter 9, it is if we see these questions that uh, Paul addresses them, it's almost like a courtroom setting that we think of. Okay, all of a sudden there is an interrogation that Paul is giving them. And as Paul says, as a Christian believer, possessing a right to engage in one activity is not always beneficial. And he mentions that even back in 6.12. If, if you look at chapter 6, verse 12, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And then all throughout, as we looked at in chapter 8, the whole sensitive to conscience and understanding, the meat offered unto idols, and um, as we finished, where there are the meat itself there is no de uh, determining factor that the meat is bad for you or the meat is spiritual or unspiritual, but how you are doing it and eating blatantly in these idols' temples. And some of it, as we'll see in chapter 10, they were demonic temples, and they were just saying, well, it's, it's meat, and I can eat it wherever I want. But they were hurting the conscience of these other believers who had not arrived at their convictions, their own convictions about whether it was right or wrong. So they were causing them to stumble. And even in chapter 10, verse 23 and 24, Paul again says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. And that is what we arrive at, is that these believers were being selfish and prideful. And that's the hard thing, is because oftentimes... The, the Bible expresses as believers, we need to look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And sometimes we're so wrapped up in our own identity, our own personal rights, that we don't consider other people. Granted, there are many rights we have as, as Americans, but as believers that we can do that aren't wrong or sinful, but not all are beneficial. We also have the right not to engage in some of these activities. And so as we look at here, as Paul is defending himself and that Paul is responding to the critics from Corinth who really are questioning his both credibility. They might look at that, his, at that, but that's only part of the argument. Paul's line of argumentation is parallel to the pridefulness. See, the Corinthians were saying that they have superiority to live out their lives, um, their own rights, no matter the negative consequences that it may impact on others. And Paul says, wait a second, look at the rights I have. And spiritual maturity occurs when believers forego their personal rights for the sake of the gospel and other believers. And so I really believe that there are these spiritual maturity reminders we'll look at as we go through. So um, as we understand here, these, um, they haughtily, these haughty believers were basing their freedom selfishly upon their own self-appointed spiritual positions. And they were claiming to be more spiritual and therefore could engage in their rights to meet in the idols' temples. But we're going to look at in chapter 9. First of all, we're going to see for, that believers are given examples of spiritual maturity. If you think about in your life, 
there are many people probably have impacted you spiritually, who've invested in you. I, I can think of many prayer warriors or individuals who, who just were humble, who really sought to serve the Lord. They weren't only pastors or missionaries. There were some who were farmers. There were those who were just faithful in serving the Lord. And it doesn't matter what background or occupation. But as we see here, believers are given examples of spiritual maturity. See, Paul, even he counters with his apostolic rights. And what does it mean, an apostle? He says, first of all, am I not free? And this is direct response to, his, to that statement in chapter 8, I think it's verse 13, where he says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. He says, am I not free? I can eat meat. I can choose to make these decisions. Am I not free? And he has the spiritual maturity to make individual spiritual decisions. Each of you can make decisions that you hopefully seek to honor God through that are biblically based, but there are not always clear answers on what we should do, and that's the challenge. So Paul gives his example. He's a one who is spiritually mature. He says, I'm free to decide to eat meat, but also, am I not an apostle? What is an apostle? I know there's some churches say, oh, there's apostle so-and-so. In our church, we don't believe that um, there are apostles. But an apostle was a public visible witness at that time to the truth claims which were lived out in accordance with the claims and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These apostles who, who were a visible, they were a visible witness to Jesus Christ. They saw Christ. And they possess spiritual authority to declare spiritual truth to the individuals and to the churches. Whenever there's a question, uh, they saw after their teaching. Even the other question Paul says is, have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Or as he said, am I not apostle to others? Yet doubtless I am to you for you. Or excuse me, I am, I, have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? And he presents these questions, these hypothetical questions. And obviously he has seen Christ our Lord. And as we look back in Acts 9, where he says there was a light. And Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And as he gives his testimony, this is a valuable part because he saw the risen Lord. So I think it's important that we know that there are godly biblical examples of spiritual maturity that we can see. And if I were to ask you, I'm sure that there are those who you've seen who have sought to live godly lives. So there is, there are examples that we have so that we can move towards spiritual maturity. But also, as we see in verse 1 and 2 through 4, there is spiritual growth will produce spiritual maturity. Verse 2, it says, if I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Literally, he says, are you not my work or evidence of Paul's witness in the Lord? See, they are a seal or certificate, his evidence of apostleship. They attest to the genuineness or authenticity of his message, of who he is. He lived among them. He worked among them. He served among them. He was there for a period of time. And his living testimony before them demonstrated his motives were not selfish or financially based. And as he taught them, and he, he talks about, he, I fed you spiritual food. Our neighbor, um, I was talking with our neighbor. Um, she's a grandmother and was watching over her grandchildren and their um, fraternal twins. 
And I was just thinking about uh, trying to feed fraternal twins. You know, how you, first of all, twins, keep them together. You know, it's like, okay, here, food, food, you know, try to get them. But you know what? You're not just um, going to feed them, oh, here, have some steak, or here, have some hard food that they can't eat because they ha have four teeth and two teeth, and they can't chew. So it's understanding that as children grow, develop, you're going to be sensitive to their needs. It's the same way with believers and others. And each of us are at different points in our spiritual lives. And the Holy Spirit helps us to recognize and understand but the, that process of growing. We are moving towards, in our relationship with God, we are moving toward God. That's the process of sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart from sin and to be set apart to God. So literally, in our attempts are to try to move away from a sinful life, the sin in our lives, but yet moving toward God to recognize. And the more we know about who God is, we can please him, we can honor him, and we live for him. So spiritual growth will always produce spiritual maturity. That is part of the process of a believer's life. And as Paul expresses to these believers, says, guess what? You were here. I fed you with milk. And guess what? You still couldn't handle it. But it doesn't mean that you leave them alone as they are growing and being nourished. The desire is to allow them to be taught and to grow in their understanding of who God is. Going from, if you will, shallow to deep. And that's a hard part because, for the most part, we like things easy. But guess what? There are difficult truths. We were talking about even in Bible study. There are truths that are profound that we don't completely understand. If anyone says, oh yeah, I understand the Trinity completely, you know, that's a hard thing. The Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How many gods are there? One, but three persons within the Trinity. You know, so how is that? A three-in-one concept. We can't completely understand it, but it doesn't negate the validity of that truth. And so that's the challenge. And there are some difficulties that we have, but as we grow and, and learn, and the Bible talks about that, uses plural um, nouns in the Old Testament, but yet one God. And so we could spend all our I can't believe that, or I can't understand it, so I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to read any further. But as we read and grow and understand it, we take these by faith. And there is support, as we see here. And the Holy Spirit helps us understand spiritual things. That's why there are those who do not know Christ who will never understand uh, these words because they are not spiritual. And even ourselves, the Holy Spirit helps us understand to learn about who God is because he is God. And throughout your lives, think about just what we call providence, God working through earthly events. I pray that you've seen God work individually in your lives, where there's been events that occur, and sometimes you might wonder, how did this happen? People say, oh, that was just luck or serendipity or whatever. But no, this, this is, you can view God specifically working in your life to help you understand who he is, that he's faithful, that he's trustworthy, that he answers prayer. And those events help you to come into a closer understanding of who God is. And we can choose to reject them or say, you know what, it wasn't God. But as your heart, if you will, your spiritual nature, understanding the spirit within you, helps you to connect and to recognize that. And that produces that maturity. But let's move on as we see here. Paul says, um, his living testimony before them, but also in verse 4, as we go down, don't um, we have the right to eat or drink? 
where he says, my defense to those who examine me is this, do we not have the right to eat or drink? And I, you know, talking about even as he was mentioned, to eat meat offered under idols. It's not the whether you eat or don't eat, but sometimes it's where you do it. And there's nothing wrong with in the homes, but um, it's distinguished from the temple location setting. And so the subject matter of being right or wrong. And the, the challenge is that when we get an answer from God, we want all the details. So, you know, they were asking, oh, is them eating meat or eating not meat, right or wrong? Okay, that, but then is it wrong here in this situation? We put all these hypothetical situations. And that's the hard part because God doesn't always give us answers to those hypothetical situations. And that's where we have to have discernment. Because what is right or wrong might be right here, but it might not be very beneficial here. And so as we evaluate and we pray and allow the Spirit of God to work in us and through us, to have that spiritual maturity, it takes growth. And did you know that believers, as you grow in your spiritual lives, you're going to make errors? You're going to make mistakes? We do that. And sometimes it's like, oh, I can't believe you did that. You're a Christian. How could you do that? Well, guess what? That happens in, in the process of growth. And it doesn't matter if you're 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. We still make mistakes. But thankfully, we have a God who cares about us and teaches us. The problem is, if you're still making the mistakes that you were from when you were 10 years old that you're making when you're 70, then you have the issue to overcome those things. And spiritual maturity. And it leads, if we don't, it leads to divisions and questions of spirituality by less mature Christians. And so as we move on, also, there is a variety, as we see in verse 5, there's a variety of examples of spiritual maturity. Sometimes we think that spiritual maturity only looks like this. This brand of spiritual maturity. I don't know about name brands. You know, I saw, um, if you follow college football, I saw, oh, excuse me, um, I saw, Marvin Harrison Jr., and he was wearing Louis Vuitton cleats. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, that's very high, and I'd be afraid to get them dirty or something, the value of them. But, you know, these guys, they wear things, and it's all about labels, and you want this. But the point is, what happens is, as we think about spiritual maturity of the brand, some say, oh, well, this is, only this is the right way, or only this is the good brand. Now, granted, if you eat breakfast cereal, some the generic brand is not good as the regular brand. But within, the, within spiritual maturity, there's a variety of people who are spiritually mature. Sometimes we just view spiritual maturity as, okay, you've been a Christian for 40 years and you served in the church, you must be really mature. I know believers who've been in the church for 50 years and they haven't grown any more spiritually mature than when they came to Christ. I know people who, who do not know theological terms and doctrine, but yet maybe they served at a, um, in a warehouse or in a job. But because of their uh, submission to Christ, their prayer life, their obedience to God, they are spiritual giants. Sometimes we think in the U.S., oh, you know, we're only um, because we have churches and we have all the Bibles and, and teachings, we're more spiritual than people in other countries. You know what? There are spiritual giants in other countries, and they look very different. And my point is, as Paul's expressing, spiritual, there's a variety of examples of spiritual maturity. In verse 5, it says, Do we not have no right to take a believing wife? Do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas who have no right to refrain from working? 
some of the questions they were asking. You know, Paul is probably alluding back to his statement, chapter 7, referring to the couples. There were those who thought, oh, you know, is it more spiritual to be married or not married? Uh, because, you know, we're waiting and wanting to serve the Lord. And too much judgment occurs by believers for other believers when there is no direct biblical prescriptive instruction. Sometimes we want it very clear. Thus saith the Lord, okay, then I can do it. But it doesn't matter if you're single or, or married or widowed. You can serve the Lord where you're at and obey him and be a testimony for him. And what is important is to understand is that spiritual maturity, um, you are to view it from your own personal perspective, not comparing yourself to other individuals. You each have a different path that God has for you. And here, uh, obviously, Peter, he was married. As we read, mother-in-law. There, there are examples of how he lived and was going to have different challenges than someone who is single, but also the single individual will have challenges. You know, both positions have their own spiritual challenges in trying to live a Christ-like life. But each of them, each individual is to serve the Lord where they're at. And as Barnabas says, and some are supported, where it says in verse 5, or excuse me, verse 6, or it is only Barnabas and I who have the right to refrain from working. And in English, it translates it, there's a positive and negative view of that. Negatively, it could be, as mentioned here, refrain from working. But it also could include positively work for a living. Remember, Paul is giving all of these questions, and he's, and he's asked, kind of giving these in defense and charging them, saying, hey, guess what? Don't I have a right? I could work if I want to. Paul worked as a tent maker. He worked and um, provided for himself as he was serving them because he did not want to be a burden financially to them. But guess what? Paul also received sometimes monetary gifts and things like that, and that's what he's being scrutinized over. And Paul and Barnabas were occupationally using their abilities to work for a living. Paul is given the, tent, um, the title tent maker. doesn't mean that he, he worked for Coleman, you know, and pop-up tents. That's our picture. But it probably was a leather worker and a skin and hide and had to go and set up a booth in the Agora at Corinth. But he interacted with people. And so he worked there. And there are some who minister as servants of Christ, supporting themselves financially. Think about engineers, doctors, lawyers, those who serve in various countries and use their skills and talents to promote the gospel of Christ. But there are also occupational missionaries and pastors who are supported by church congregations and financial support of others. My point is that as we look at um, examples of spiritual maturity, it is not the position that you hold, but your spiritual relationship and growth in understanding who God is. So obey and believe and continue on. So spiritual maturity might look different um, based upon different people, but there will always be evidence of that, and you'll see that. There are certain characteristics that will represent those who are spiritually mature. And also, fourthly, there are benefits for those with spiritual maturity. So as Paul is giving all these rhetorical questions, he doesn't expect them to answer you, answer him, but believers will receive benefits from serving in ministry. That's even how the natural wor world operates, is that there is, as Paul, if you look at verse 7, 7 says, Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as mere man, or does not the law say the same thing also? So, 
for example, who goes to war at their own expense? We have people who have served in the military, uh, and that's an important part. I know chaplains and others, and oftentimes, you know, if, if they had the draft and said, okay, you all have to go to the military and you have to pay your own way, be like, wait a second, uh, I don't think so. You know, there's a back at a time where they could barely provide, even in the Revolutionary War and back earlier on, you know, the, the government provided for them. But can you imagine how many people would be like, I'm not part of this. I can't afford to live my life, but then now you want me to buy the uniform, you want me to provide and, you know, these things. That would be difficult. And they, so they understand a, a, for a soldier to pay for his own rations, that's absurd. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit? You know, if you've grown up on a farm or... Um, if uh, you have seen the vegetables, uh, maybe you have a little garden. You know, you eat that. You would, be, you would try that and understand. Even farmer's markets out here, you know, we have four planting seasons. Uh, maybe, you know, blueberry and raspberries. You would pick them, and then it's like, okay, you know what? These are sweet. You try them. Thinking about out here in Arizona, we get a lot of the Latin American and uh, being close to California, you have all the different fruits and vegetables, uh, like uh, piña and uh, dragon fruit, uh, some of the Asian fruits, uh, mangosteen, I mean, things that you'd never try before. But imagine growing this and then never trying it. That's the whole point, the example from scripture that we have. And the point that Paul is making is that even as he says, the shepherd, who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk, eat the yogurt, cheese, milk. The whole point is those who serve in ministry, whether it be as a um, vocational minister or others, there are going to be benefits that you receive. And Paul is defending, saying, guess what? Even though I'm working, there are material benefits that he received. And you can see it from a human perspective. The natural world explains that. I think about the benefits, talking about benefits, there was an individual who was in the military and uh, he was um, selling uh, life insurance, the, um, the, the military benefits, life insurance. And they're wondering because he had signups, he had more signups than they ever had gotten in the past. And so his uh, sergeant was wondering, how is this cadet uh, getting all these signups for these new cadets to sign up for, for health insurance, for life insurance from the government? So he stood and watched them. And uh, then what happens, it says, the, um, the individual selling the service and selling the insurance to the cadets said, okay, well, here's the benefits. Now, the government gives you, if you, if you were to, to die in military service, your family gets like uh, $600. Uh, but if you sign up for the government uh, life insurance benefits, you're going to get uh, $4,000. Um, $4, now, imagine this. Who do you think that they send um, into battle first? The ones who have, they have to pay more or the ones who have the, the less uh, insurance or don't have the insurance. So he was obviously the benefits you have there. But understanding it, as we think about benefits that you are given, even as a believer, there is going to be benefits that you receive and even evidence from the law or the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy 25.4, Paul quotes there and says, Thou shalt not muzzle, so King James comes out in me because it's a lot of verses that I, that I memorized, that um, thou shalt not muzzle the ox which treads out the corn and, or the grain. As we look at that, one who is serving, one who is working, 
even the animals, the grace and mercy that they show that guess what? You don't, it is working. An animal that is working is going to be able to receive the fruit of its labor. And this is used by Paul in later areas. And here, understanding that those in ministry are going to be able to receive the benefits of serving in ministry. And as we go into number five, looking at it, because that ties into number five, not only will those who receive benefits, I think financially supporting ministry workers displays spiritual maturity. See, Paul defends in verse 10 and 12 his position as one who may work as a tradesman, but there's nothing wrong with receiving material payment for his spiritual ministry. There are those who live by the gospel, work in the gospel, live by the gospel. Verse 11 he says, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Paul uses this as an example to support that pastors and missionaries and those in occupational roles can be paid by the ministries that they serve. Sometimes churches and congregations do not pay well and say, well, let's use it as a sign of spirituality. But then there's others, you know, that, then there's others who may have an exorbitant salary and use it as evidence and say, well, that's God's blessing. Well, that's not, on the other flip side of the coin, that's not correct either. This is not a valid reason to live excessively above a reasonable salary. But what happens is there are some who have not properly engaged in their right and they have been given to financial excess. But what Paul is saying is that those who are in ministry, it is okay to be supported by those who are serving in ministry. And I think that we see the value of that. We support missionaries, those who serve uh, in full-time and be able to, as a vocation. But it also means that sometimes there are those who, who serve in ministry, who are work at a vocational job. You know, there are benefits there as well. And sometimes they receive financial um, remuneration, if you will, as well. doesn't mean just because people who are in the church and they have money, sometimes, you know, they, they can choose to not take it or they can give it back to the church. I know people who've done that. Or they can receive it. And sometimes we um, Christians judge them by that. But I would encourage you, don't do that. Because as we see here, even Paul talks about in Timothy, the labor is worthy of his reward. And as we continue on in verse 12, it says, if others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Paul talks about it, that others were receiving this benefit, but what about Paul who had been investing in, in the Corinthians and helping them? And he talks about laboring, helping them, serving. And in 12b, if you follow where it says, if others are partakers of this right, even more are we not so. But then it says, nevertheless, we have not used this right. He used that term again, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, well, I have the right to be able to take that financial benefit from you. We haven't. We've chosen not to take that benefit. And that's, a, a, that's what, as we express the spiritual maturity. See, an arrogant, haughty individual who's a Christian will say, well, I'm going to get all that I can. But Paul says, I'm not going to for the sake of these Corinthian believers, some of them who were immature and did not understand and he says, however, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel. I think an essential key in understanding our rights is the character trait, humility, and submitting to Christ. 
Because in humility and submitting to Christ, we understand that it's not about our service. It's not about even other people. It's about recognizing that the gospel, what will benefit the gospel? How can I help these other individuals mature spiritually? And maybe they're not at that point. So guess what? Paul says, you know what? I'm not going to take it. And then in verse 13 through 14, Paul returns the, to, Paul returns the Corinthian believers to the subject of the Jewish temple setting and the priests who served there. Remember, there are a lot who, who didn't have a background in Judaism. And he says, they, um, people brought the food. They're given food and meat from the worshipers. God provided for them in the Old Testament. And then even presently, where it says, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Talking about it, Judaism. But also understanding that, guess what? Those individuals who are serving there, they are receiving the benefits of their work, and God has established that. And it's a reminder that the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. That's why I think that while there's some who are bivocational, if you will, um, there can be split priorities. And so you have to be wise now. If you have enough staff, things like that, but as a church, you know, understanding the work that is the priority of, of ministering and serving. And so what it, how does that apply to you and I? As we look at this, this whole understanding of spiritual maturity, as Paul is expressing and teaching about them, he's been teaching about this meat offered unto idols. Should we eat it? And each of us as Christians have personal rights and spiritual rights of activities that we can engage in. I remember if we look at historically, if you think about it, looking back at, I remember churches where, you know, they used to um, smoke pipe. They, um, they were in the churches, oh, movies are bad. Going to the movies was bad. And we look, have to look at it from the historical context, what was taking place. There, were, there are a lot of reactions that the churches are attempting to regulate spirituality based upon behavior. How you dress. If you dress this way, you're spiritual. If you look this way, if you sing this song, if you read that, that is a difficult um, plan to live by. Because what happens is things change. If we had snow here, uh, you know, the dress in the Northeast, you know, sometimes people wear suits and ties, sometimes people wear coats, you know, they like to dress up. There's nothing wrong with dressing up. You know, looking your best, sometimes they have that mentality, look your best. I would say look your best over looking your worst, you know. Don't come in looking like all haggard and things unless, you know, that's the only way you're coming in. But oftentimes, you know, we should look in the mirror, pay attention, make sure our breath isn't offensive you know, things like that, we come in, because you're going to interact with other people. But more importantly, what your externally superficial looks like, it's more important what our heart internal looks like. And that is to come as a motivation to worship and serve God. As we sing these songs, you know, about God and Christ, the desire is as you, as you listen to the music, as you, as you interact with other people, you know, hopefully you recognize as you get to know other people, you know, they're going through struggles, they're going through joys, and that is Christ working in people's lives. And that can affect you, that can be a positive. Or it could be, it could affect you and you could, man, I need to pray more for so-and-so. As we read God's word and think about um, the lessons of Paul, spiritual maturity, 
It's a process. None of us have arrived and are there yet, if you will. The Bible says that none of us will be complete until the day of redemption, until we get our new bodies, because we still struggle with sin. But as we think about spiritual maturity, defining it by the fact that we can make decisions um, that engage our rights or not engage our rights. And I think that's the difference, is understanding, um, looking back at that, what is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity occurs when believers forgo their personal rights or willing to forgo for the sake of the gospel or other younger believers. To recognize that it's not about us and our, our appearance of being more spiritual than others. Ministry is messy. Lives are messy. And it's important for us to have a humble spirit to want to serve God, to want to care about others. Doesn't mean that we are going to be knowledge-wise puffed up, oh yes, I know how to say the hypostatic union, or I know Greek or Hebrew, or I know this or that. And sometimes um, people base their spirituality on what they know. But it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And if you know, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that is growing, that is vibrant, obe obeying. And let me just close with this. All believers need to be serving in ministry. I think that's essential. But some will serve in occupational or what we call vocational ministry. Some will be pastors, missionaries. Some will serve in seminaries. Some will be uh, Christian teachers. Uh, some will make, uh, be supported by those in ministry. But some will serve in a volunteer capacity. Some are going to be serving in the jobs that you have. And uh, you are still going to be volunteering, and you're still an important, vital part of the local church, of the ministry for Christ. And it doesn't matter because we're all partners serving alongside one another for the sake of the gospel. Well, as a pastor, you know, I can, I can help you grow spiritually, but you know what? There are some of you who might help other people grow more spiritually, and I shouldn't be jealous. If anything, I should be glad and happy because, praise the Lord, they're growing spiritually. But there are those who are going to be more jealous about the influence that they have in others, and I would encourage you in a right conversation, if you will, to remember that before Christ, we are to understand, and just wait for that. Sorry, Bill, go ahead. But um, we have the understanding that, continue on with that, that um, our decision for Christ, spiritual maturity means that, guess what? It doesn't matter who is assisting or aiding in helping the gospel go forward. Because the question is, what are my motivations? So it's always a self-evaluation. What are my motivations in helping the gospel? And what can I do to help contribute or encourage other believers? Because sometimes we just have, oh, you know what? It's a, it's a selfish attitude. I don't really want to. But if we have a close relationship with Christ, I believe that he will place upon our hearts, hey, there's opportunities that where you can help within your gifts. It could be financially. It could be time-wise. Sometimes time is more valuable a resource than financially. It might be resources. You know, maybe someone needs help with this. Hey, guess what? I can help with that. Or maybe it's, you know, cooking food, you know, and helping someone who just had surgery. Well, there's some people probably who I'd say, please don't cook food because you might make them sicker. You know, just remember that. But each use those gifts. 
And uh, you, there are things that you can do that God has, and that's why to understand your gifts and abilities. But above all, use the opportunities and to be sensitive to the spirits leading in your life. Because I believe that each one here, no matter your age, no matter your spiritual background, have an opportunity to encourage other believers. And also, we, it requires in spiritual maturity to allow others to be able to encourage and bless you as well. And people may make sacrifices of their time, talents, or even resources. And God will bless each one. And I believe that there are material benefits that Christians will receive when they make spiritual investments in others for the sake of the gospel. And that's where spiritual maturity is. You know, it's not wrong if you, if you take them. But guess what? There are benefits that you will receive spiritually and materially for serving Christ. And some people will... will Say, oh, well, you know, should you receive them? Should you not? It doesn't matter. First of all, that's not your call, if you will. And as a personal responsibility, you can do what you want with them because Paul's expressing here and saying that. Guess what? Above all, make sure that your heart is right, motivated to serve Christ, and then with the resources available to you. And I really believe that God will bless and honor you. And spiritual maturity the right to partake in that, but also know when, when is the right not to take and partake in that. And that is the important point that Paul's expressing and to help us to be remindful to, so that we can grow and be mature spiritually. So we pray. Mm -hmm.